We're going to seek to, uh, to engage the great God today, um, the eternal God, in this finite space, in this ordinary place, in this tiny building, in this tiny town, in this tiny country. We're going to seek to engage the creator of all things. So whatever you've got to do this morning to get to that place where you can be most engaged, I would invite you to do that because I believe he's trying to speak to you today. And um, so let's just start there. But this whole, I want to talk about this whole thing here, this series we've been teaching or I've been teaching and we've been learning together is called Little People, Big Word, right? And it's kind of a cheesy playoff of the, the TLC show. I don't know if you guys ever watch that show uh, about, you know, the, the little people who are just like they're a family and they're just doing the family thing. And, you know, someone was telling me the story about uh, he has this uh, great big pumpkin slinger. Right, if you watch the show, he built this contraption that could kill people pretty much to sling pumpkins at his pumpkin farm. And uh, he has this way, I can't think of the dude's name, but he has this way of going big or going home, you know? Like he just does crazy things. And, um, and I believe that the word calls us to those type of things. The word calls us to do extraordinary things. You're living an ordinary life. You're minding your own business. And this eternal God steps in your path and says, wake up. Pay attention. Bigger things are happening. And I hope that you've been involved in that conversation in your private life. I hope that you've been convicted in places in your life where it's just ordinary and not extraordinary because the truth is that the air we breathe, the life we've been given, is a gift of God. He's poured it into us. He's made an investment. And our obligation is to live out that life in the most glorifying manner to God. It's all about his glory and bring glory to him. And so therefore, we are little people, but we proclaim a big word. A big word. And that's the truth of our message. You might, you might say, well, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a, even a Sunday school teacher. God is trying to use you to proclaim his great big word to the world. The truth about Jesus Christ. He's trying to proclaim, proclaim it in your life and proclaim it through you in the lives of others. And you know, one of the experiences I want to share with you real quick. This week at camp, I had a conversation with someone and they said, I can't get used to this idea of ordinary people sharing the gospel, ordinary people teaching. Guess what? We're all ordinary. Until God gets a hold of us. And then we're extraordinary. And it's only extraordinary because the whole world is without him. And so I would invite you to be involved in that conversation, engaged in that conversation. This conversation of ordinary folks proclaiming a great big truth. I'm going to make a foundational statement today that we're going to get back around to by the end. That Jesus Christ, that the biggest word we have to proclaim is this. That Jesus Christ is required for righteousness with God. I want to say it again, that Jesus of Nazareth, the anointed, is absolutely required for righteousness with God. That's the big word. That's the big proclamation. And we're going to learn today, we've been studying this book of Joel, we're going to learn today from Joel about the big deal, the big righteousness that God requires of his people. But before we do, I want to jump back a little bit and talk about the series thus far, right? Um, there's, as I've been praying through and reading through Joel, and I hope you've been too, you know, someone said to me, it really is only three chapters. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's really easy to read it. I hope you've read it a, a time or two, or maybe three times in the last couple weeks. But the, the major, there's many more things in here that could be learned, gleaned, taught, uh, understood. But the three major kind of paths through this text that we are taking in this, this, uh, in this series is, is the first thing is that Joel is, re- is proclaiming uh, 
extraordinary matters from ordinary things. He's a prophet, right? By the way, it's called a minor prophet, and it's not minor because he's not important. It's because he didn't write very much. He wrote a little book. That's why we're studying it, actually, right now. But in this little proclamation, he makes a great big message. And it's a, but he starts off here with a warning, with a warning to the people of God. And when we talked about what a prophet is, you know, it's not like the seasayer. It's not the guy who can go to crystal ball. It's a guy who can see in the, or a gal, who can see in the ordinary everyday events of life, the things of God, and can turn people's eyes and say, do you see it? It's eternal. Do you see what's happening here? It's eternal. And it's not reserved for a select few. It's a gift that's a, a gift of God to call his people to him. So he starts off by saying, look at this plague of locusts. We've been talking about this, right, in Joel. Look at this plague of locusts that's coming. They're coming. They're going to destroy everything. We've never seen anything like it. God is speaking. And I'm sure a lot of people are like, dude, it's just locusts. But they were missing the point. And Joel was proclaiming it. It was a warning light of life. When things get to be too much, we talked about that. When things are going awry in our lives, in our personal lives, our private lives, our public lives, God is trying to get our attention. You know, sometimes we feel like if that goes public, I will die of embarrassment. Here's this truth of the matter. If God does not make those things public and we kind of conceal them to our deathbed, we may not be right with God at all. And there's a bigger problem. So sometimes dying of embarrassment isn't the worst thing that could happen to us. God is using those signs to warn us about things that are coming. Then last week we talked about the tyranny of tiny things, about how all these little things in our life crowd in and the big stuff never gets in. It never gets in. And I did share with you last week as a very personal experience lately because I've, I've spent too much time with people who are at the end of their lives and have never thought about big things. They've never even considered it. And that just blows me away. And so I hope that if you've never done it before, that today you might consider big things. Maybe for the first time ever, you're going to think about a big thing. That life is more than the jeans you wear. Life is more than the kind of car you drive. That life is more than the job you have. That life is more than the family that you're raising. That life is more than what you've ever made it before. It's a big thing. The little things need to be moved out of the way to make room for big things. And the biggest thing of all is this thing called the day of the Lord. And we talked about that last week. This day of the coming Messiah. Now, Joel proclaimed it Joel said in chapter 2, there will be a time coming, it will be the day of the Lord, right? And he commands this army of locusts, and we talked about that. And we're going to get back to that next week in the final week of the series on Joel, right? About the day of the Lord. But today we're going to go ahead and we're going to turn to the new thought. And the new thought is this, uh, the bulletin says the size of the fight and the dog, (laughs) you know? And it's this idea uh, that there's a coming judgment, That there's a coming righteous judgment on every single soul. Everyone. Mine and yours. And that's why I said earlier, it's not the worst thing to die of embarrassment. Right? Because you could get through your whole life and save a lot of face and at the end be absolutely abandoned. Absolutely cast out. Because you never let God do the work that he wanted to do in your life. The day of judgment is coming. And this is where Joel goes. This is where Joel goes. But I thought this was really funny because I got this little cute little picture of this dog. This isn't my dog, by the way. You know, I, some of you know I got a dog now. We got a dog in the family. But that isn't my dog. It's just a cute little dog. <laughs> you know, he's all wet and stuff. And I don't know, are any of you dog people? Anybody dog people? Yeah, a few. Yeah, Johnny's a dog person. That's right. Any of you cat people? 
Yeah, cat people in the house. You know, the, the thing about, I like about dogs and, and don't like about cats. Well, I'm allergic to cats anyway. The second thing is cats have so much attitude. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason that cats aren't man's best friend because they could care less about you. It's their world and you're living in it, you know? Uh, I've never had a cat because I'm allergic, but I was over at someone's house and I was working and I had a complete stranger in their house. And if you go to a, a person's house has a dog, it might bark and then it'll hide and it'll come up and sniff you. And then by the end of like two hours, you'll have made friends, you know? I went in this person's house and this cat just like, I put my bag on the table and opened it up and this cat just jumped in my bag. And I'm like, excuse me. And I'm allergic. And then it comes up and it's just like looking at me. And it, and, and it does that thing where it walks by and it kind of just rubs up against your leg. You're like, dude, that's my personal space. You know? So anyway, that's a little tirade on cats. But I don't get it. But they, they ha- they're cool. If, if I was allergic, I'd probably have a cat, honestly. Because they are so cool. But, but they have other things to do, right? But, but if you're a dog person, and I'm not sure now if there's a couple different kind of dog people too. Are you a big dog person? Any big dog? Yeah, that's right. The big dogs. Yeah. Anybody a little dog person? Yeah. The little dogs are so cute, right? And uh, we always think little dogs, little messes. That's what our household rule is. Um, we had a big dog for a while. But there, there are these kind of different types of folks who love dogs and, and um, have big dogs and little dogs. But now I tell you what, I've had a few dogs. I've probably had maybe like six or seven dogs in my life. But you know what's amazing to me? And this is an unscientific study. But it's always my little dogs that are absolutely nuts. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't understand it. You know, Jordan Muck, who's youth pastor at HCC, he has this monstrous dog. Have you seen his dog? It's like a bull mastiff or something. I don't know what it is. It's, like a, it's got this neck that's like bigger than, bigger than both my thighs, I think. It's huge. He had it up at the, um, the Schweitzer Fest. And it just sat there. That dog was so chill. It could have like eaten all of us, I'm convinced. Just sat there. You get some of these little dogs out in a crowd, and they're crazy. If I go up picking fights with people, picking fights with dogs, you know? Someone said about our dog, they said, you got one of those yappers. They just, they're like mad at the world, you know? And you're like, dude, settle down. You know how small you are? You have no chance. I remember whenever I was a little kid, I was walking one of my dogs, my little dogs, I was walking them, and there was this great big Doberman or, or German Shepherd or something, and, and my dog just took off and ripped the, the lead out of my hand and went off and got in a fight. And I'm like, dude, you know? No sense in the little dogs, it seems, right? And um, I want to tell you one quick story about one particular dog. He was a small like, rat terrier, right? We had this rat terrier named Buddy. And uh, he was our family dog or whatever. And we had a fenced-in backyard. And fences are good because they kind of give you definition and boundary in life, you know? But the deal with Buddy was he was nuts. And he, he thought he owned the whole block, not just our yard, the whole block. And what he would do is he would run up down the fence line and our neighbor had bulldogs on the other side of the fence. And he would just bark back and forth. And he had worn a path in our yard along the fence where he was defending his territory. And he was just ugly. He would get his teeth in the fence, you know. He'd... And that bulldog would to look at him. You know, they got those, the Highland bulldog, they got that thing, you know. Just looking at him. And buddy's like, I'm like, dude, you how, how big that thing is? I'm like, stop it, man. What's wrong with you? It would happen over and over and over again. Buddy had that little dog complex. I don't know if you've ever known any dogs like that, you know. Uh, maybe we, we, there's something, actually, um, 
it's been referred to as little man complex, right? Little Napoleon complex, people call it. But you know what? Actually, they say it's not scientifically valid. There's no truth to the little, the Napoleon complex. That little, smaller people like to fight more than bigger people. You know, I just think bigger people know they don't have to worry about it. <laughs> they have nothing to prove, you know? Sometimes when you're a little dog in the fight, you're trying to prove something to the big dog, right? I had a, my grandpa used to always say, um, you got more guts than you got sense. You know what I mean? And man, don't we love those stories about the, uh, the size of the fight and the dog? Don't we love to see the little dog win? Finally, he got his day, you know? Well, let's get into the word together, the book of Joel. I'm going to show you how this connects together this morning, God willing. But let's begin by praying together. Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you that we're gathered here in your name. I, I know that your word is, is written to prove, uh, to rebu- rebuke us and to console us and to challenge us and to confront us and to, to thwart sin in our life. And Father God, I pray that by the presence of your spirit, by the power of your name, Jesus, that this whole time would be dedicated completely to you, that your word could speak about the truth of our situation. May you be glorified in all minds and hearts and eyes and ears gathered here today. May your name and your name alone be praised. We say this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to jump here. We're going to go. I think I had a couple of things in here between. We're going to skip these two. All right. So Joel is going to be on 636 of, your, uh, of the Bibles that we provide, if you have one of ours. And if you have your own, you've got to look it up. It's the Minor Prophets. It's right before the New Testament. You know, it's, it's a little better than uh, halfway in. And um, I'm just going to read, because we kind of stopped last time with the day of the Lord last week, you know, um, where God says, you know, repent and turn to me, and maybe I will relent. You know, that's what, that's what Joel tells us. Maybe he will even relent and uh, have mercy on us. And this is what it says in Joel chapter 3, verse 1. Read with me here. Because this is where Joel kind of turns the page, this third thought. There's this, there's this time of warning. There's this time of the day of the Lord. And now there's this time of coming judgment. And this is what it says. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And there I will enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. For they scattered my people among the nations and they divided up my land and they cast lots for my people and they traded boys for prostitutes and they sold girls for wine that they might drink. Right? So he says, there's this time coming, there is a time coming, the Lord proclaims, whenever Judah and Jerusalem will be restored. And he says, there's a time coming that my name will be made righteous. My name will be known as the righteous one again. You don't have to look far in our culture to see how we're disparaging and dishonoring the name of God. You know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Don't take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain. We do it all the time. And I don't mean saying bad words alone. I mean the way we live our lives. We're disparaging the name of the righteous God, the holy God. And here he says, there is a time that's coming that my name will be known for righteousness again. Joel's saying, look out. Pay attention. God's righteousness is coming He says he's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. You remember last week he said, I will repay what the the, uh, locusts have eaten. If there's a time in your life, a season of your life, where God has commanded the locusts to tear away all the stuff so that you can get down to the bare bones and God can deal with you there, 
God makes a promise that when you repent and turn to him, he'll restore all that the locusts have eaten. He'll restore everything he has taken from you for the glory of his name. But there's a time coming whenever he's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, you see here. And I, I will gather all nations, it says, all people groups, everyone, and bring them down. Look what it says, to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's a fun word to say, Jehoshaphat. You want to say that? Jehoshaphat. Yeah, one more time, ready? Jehoshaphat. Now, you know what's funny about Jehoshaphat? It's a fun name to say. Uh, that's kind of cool, and I can pronounce it, so I like to preach about words I can pronounce. That's pretty cool. But then I looked it up, and it says, the, the name says, God will judge. And I looked at him like, oh yeah, Jehovah, right? Jehovah will judge. Yahweh will judge. Jehoshaphat. So it's actually got meaning in the name Jehoshaphat. There's a day coming when I'm going to gather all the people in the valley of Jehoshaphat. Now there's been some scholars who've done some studies and they know where the, they think the valley actually is. The valley that, the, that Joel was writing about in Israel, right? But it's more about the coming time that God's going to gather everyone together for the great day of judgment. Jehovah, the holy God, the eternal God, the righteous creator will judge everyone. That's what it says. It says, there I'll enter into judgment against them concerning my inheritance, my people Israel, right? The chosen people of God. There's going to be a day of righteousness where, why? Because Israel is special? Is that what we believe? I mean, do you think that the reason that God's going to be righteous is because you're a Christian? And so he's like, man, you gave me your whole life and you did everything really good. And because you said you're a Christian, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to prove to you finally that all the people that laughed at you and sneered at you, they're going to get their comeuppance. Not at all. It's because of his righteousness that he will exalt Israel. It's because of Jesus' righteousness that he will exalt Christians. Because of his righteousness, not because of ours. Because it's his name that would be disparaged. It's his name that would be made less. And that's not possible. So there he's going to enter in judgment concerning the inheritance, the people that he promised. You know, when God makes promises, he doesn't he take them back. There's no, there's no fingers behind the back with God's promises. He says it, he means it, he does it. That's the way it works. And so anything less than absolute um, Righteousness with his people, the inheritance, Israel, would be God breaking his promises. He doesn't do it. Look at what it says they did to him. They scattered my people among the nations and they divided up my land. Now, this is a very timely thing. They cast lots for my people and they traded boys for prostitutes. They sold girls for wine that they might drink. I read that last part and I thought, we don't do that. You know, I mean, we got some bad stuff going on, but, we, you know, we don't cast lots for people, trade boys for prostitutes, sold girls for wine. Nobody does that. And then I started to get convicted about what we do do. You know, the things that we sell out in life, that we sell our children out for stuff. We do. We trade things off. So I get a little convicted about that. But there's this idea that his people have been scattered, been driven out of his land. Why? It's the land that he promised them. You remember the Exodus story? He said, you will inherit the promised land. It is guaranteed to be yours. And what has happened now is that the people have come in and they have divided the lands up. And Judah and, and Israel can't even get along and everything is going crazy. And he's saying, there's a day coming that's going to be righteousness will reign again. And I am going to be the true God, the only God, and I will bring judgment, righteous judgment. Let's read on together. Because this is what we're going to get into here a little bit, right? Now, what we have, what, I'll start again. Now, what have you against me, O Tyre and Sidon and all you regions of Philistia? Are you repaying me for something that I have done? 
If you're paying me back, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads what you've done. For you took my silver and my gold and you carried off my finest treasures to your temples. You sold the people of Judah and Jerusalem to the Greeks that you might send them far from their homeland. And we're just, let's just stop there a second. So here's the deal. And this is, this is kind of, um, I don't know, it's a little tricky. It's a little tricky. Because we do this in our own lives as well, what's happening here. Look at what the first sentence says in verse 4. What do you have against me, God is asking, Tyre and Sidon and regions of Philistia, right? Are you repaying me for something I have done? Do you know a lot of us walk around our lives judging God? Do you know a lot of us do that? A lot of us say, yeah, well, if I was God, there would be no fill in the blank. If I was God, there would be no suffering. If I was God, everyone would love everyone. If I was God, it'd be perfect. If I was God, it would be better than it is now. And the truth is that you are entering into a judgmental relationship with the righteous God, the holy God. The God has allowed all this to happen. The God is sovereign over all circumstances in your life. And if we are going to stand and dare we judge the almighty God, he says this, what do you have against me? Are you repaying me for something I've done to you? How many of us have done this in our lives? I'm not making light of it. You go through something really hard in your life. It's a really difficult thing, and you never bargained for it. You never agreed to it. This wasn't in the cards. It wasn't in the plan. And you turn against God. How dare you do this to me? Now, see, I think God extends grace in those conversations because he'll tell you how dare he He'll say something like, guess what? I'm God. You're not. But the truth is, if you enter into the valley of judgment, if you go to that place where God's righteousness will be demanded, and you say, how dare you do that to me? God will say, are you going to judge me? I'm going to judge you. It's a dangerous place to be. Are you paying me back? He says, I will swiftly and speedily return on your own heads exactly what you've done. And he begins to lament the list of the ways that they have offended God by taking his silver and his gold, his most prized treasures, into false temples. We don't do that, right? We don't, we, we do do that, right? I mean, God gives us life. He gives us breath. He gives us family. He gives us relationships. He gives us stuff. And we just go drag it to another altar and sacrifice it there. And then we judge God. He says, I'm going to turn it back on your heads. Let's move on. It says in verse 7, See, I am going to rouse them out of the places. Now, this is the whole thing kind of pivots here because there's a day of coming judgment. And if you, are, if you um, know God... This becomes part of you. You come into the story here. I am going to rouse them out of the places to which you have sold them, and I will return on your own heads what you have done. I will sell your sons and daughters to the people of Judah, right? And they will sell them to the Sabaeans. I can't say that word. A nation far away. Yahweh has spoken. And look what it says in verse 9. Proclaim among the nations. Prepare for war. Rouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Attack. 
Pound your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weaklings say, I am strong. Come quickly, all nations from every side, and assemble here. Bring down your warriors, O Yahweh. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit and judge the nations on every side. I'm not sure how comfortable you are with this kind of conversation because, you know, we we barely sometimes get to the stuff about where we are now. We talk about what's coming in the future. And Joel is clearly saying there's a day of righteous judgment where God's righteousness will demand payment, will demand it. It will come. And he says in that place, he's going to call his people from everywhere and he's going to tell them, prepare for war. I don't, I don't know how comfortable you are with this. As a matter of fact, what's striking to me about it is it says, beat your plowshares into swords. Can you imagine that this is like a kind of, what is it called, egalitarian? This is like a, you know, you're plowing the fields one day and in that moment, God calls you and he says, turn it into a sword and come to the valley of judgment because there is a war. There is a battle that's going to take place and my righteous name will be made, made known. Which side of that are we going to be on? Which side of that are we going to be on? I want to point out one, one thing in this verse here. It says, uh, let the weak, weakling say, I am strong, right? There's a kind of a really popular song about that, you know. Um, and it's beautiful because you kind of get that, the little dog, you know, and the weak guy gets to be the strong. You know what, actually, the word there, it's the same word. It says warrior, rouse the warriors. It says, let the weakling uh, say, I am a warrior. Let the one who is broken say, I am complete. Let the one who is without any chance in this battle of the nations say, I am clothed in righteousness. We sang about it a minute ago. And that day may I be found complete in Christ Jesus our Lord. May in that day for the battle may I be armed fully in him. Let the weak say, I am a warrior. Come quickly, all you nations from every side and assemble. Bring down your warriors, Yahweh, and he will bring all the warriors together in that day. Let the nations be roused. Let them advance into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will set and judge nations on every side, right? And then here he goes, swing the sickle, the the harvest is ripe. Come trample the grapes, because the winepress is full and the vats are overflowing. Why? Because everyone is so wicked. The time of judgment has come. The time of judgment has come. These, these, these great warriors are those who God has chosen. And they don't look like it now. And I don't know if you ever feel that way. I don't know if you ever feel like now, you know, that we talked last week about how when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they were like, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Because their righteous king was here and he died on the cross. They thought this was the day that the king was coming, the the warrior king. But they were wrong. He was coming to make us, you and I, right with God. And in this place, in in this time, now we wait for the great war, the great warriors to be called up. But in the middle, we look like a bunch of people dying on a cross, don't we? In the middle, sometimes you feel like, man, Lord, if I have to lay this down for you, I don't know if I can survive it. Nations will laugh and sneer. There will come a time where the name Jesus won't be tolerated. 
Don't say anything you want. Don't talk about Jesus. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to encourage you today to not let that stop you. To sell out 100% to Jesus, the anointed. Whatever that means in your life. Whatever relationships, whatever happens. I don't want to be the weird one. I don't want to be the one that people, man, I got to, I, I got to, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm more afraid of being rejected by friends than rejected by God. That's a dangerous place to live your life. I would encourage you to sell out today to Jesus completely. In this place, look what it says there. It says, multitude, multitudes. It just means like people upon people in the valley of decision. The valley of decision. Because the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will be darkened and the stars will no longer shine. The Lord will roar from Zion. Look what it says. He will thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the sky will begin to tremble, but Yahweh will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. You understand that in the valley of decision, in the valley of judgment, the only hope you have is to be on God's side. The only hope you have is to be on God's side. You know what the problem is? When Paul wrote to the churches, he said, who is righteous? No one is righteous. Not one person can stand up before God. I've shared this with you before, and I'll share it again this morning. I have stood face to face with people, human beings, breathing, flesh and blood, souls like you and me who've said, on that day, I'm going to stand up proud and tall and say, God, I did my best for you. It's not going to be good enough. It's not going to be good enough. You know, one of the most difficult things about camp last week as we went and journeyed with these kids through learning about God and the scriptures and Jesus Christ is that it's too easy to make an impression that if you go home and you're a better person, God will love you more. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ says you can't be good enough for God. The reason that he was required to climb on the cross and be killed for us is he was the only righteous one there was I want to say that don't go try to be a better person today don't do it don't go and try to live a little better today go and find yourself in Jesus and him alone look what it says on that day Yahweh will roar from Zion thundering from Jerusalem his holy hill and the earth and sky will tremble but Yahweh will be a refuge for his people there's a, a capturing place there's a there's a safe place under him let the weak say I am a warrior today in Jesus Christ and that day, the day of judgment, the only hope we have to stand righteous before God is the blood of shed, of shed by him for us. That's the only hope that we have. The only righteousness found. God will say, what demanded, what sacrifice was demanded to make perfect uh, atonement for the sinfulness, the wickedness of this people? My blood. My blood. And on that day, I hope you don't plan to stand there and having a conversation with them. Well, you know, I didn't understand that then, Lord. I, uh, I, I didn't know that Jesus was, you know, you just don't want to admit it. Because you know why? We're like that little dog in the fight, aren't we? We're just, ah, we got this one. <laughs> we don't need you. We got it. 
stay off my territory. This fenced area here, this is for me, God. This is mine. You promised me this inheritance here. I'm going to guard it. It's mine. And the big dog sits on the other side of the fence and he says, oh, it's all mine. It's all his. I want to get to the last part of this chapter here. Because I want you to see what comes next, what comes after the judgment. This is what God says after the judgment. And God is the stronghold for his people, Israel, the chosen, those who have paid, those whose sins have been paid for, we believe as Christians. Then you will know, then you will know that I, Yahweh, your God, dwell, live in Zion, my holy hill. And it says Jerusalem will be holy at that point. Never again will foreigners invade her. In that day, the mountains will drip with wine. The hills will flow with milk. The ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of Yahweh's house and will water the valley of Acadias. Acacias, I'm sorry. And, but Egypt will be desolate. Edom a desert waste because of the violence done to the people of Judah in whose land they shed innocent blood. Judah will be inhabited forever and Jerusalem through all generations. Their blood guilt, which I have not pardoned, I will then pardon. Yahweh dwells. He lives in Zion. There is a day coming that unless you are righteous with God, you can't live there. You can't live there. You can't stay there. You aren't allowed there. Not possible. You know, I was, I was, um, I heard something this week and it really struck me as a profound thought. They said, we all want to get to heaven so we can meet Jesus, right? We all say, when we all get to heaven, you know, what a great sight it's going to be. And we're going to see with our eyes. You know, we said, the, the, the veil's rolled away and we're going to see with our eyes Jesus because we made it to heaven. Here's the truth of the gospel. We come to Jesus and wherever Jesus is, that is heaven. <laughs> you see, we don't have to wait we're up in the clouds with the harps or whatever convoluted, goofy ideas we have. Because when you're living with Jesus, you're in heaven already. Wherever he is, that is heaven. The fountain that will flow out of Yahweh's house and water all the valleys is Jesus himself. And I don't know if today you know him that way. I don't know if today you know the righteousness of God through Jesus. I don't know if today you have ever dealt with the truth that you aren't good enough for God. That no matter what you do, you can't make him love you anymore, nor love him, love him love you any less. Because he's loved you all he can by giving his son for you. So I'm going to have Brandon come back up this morning, but I want you to be praying about that, your relationship with Christ Jesus. Do you know him? Do you really trust him? Because you know, I had a little slide earlier that said the little things equal the big things. Little things plus little things equal big things. If we can't trust Jesus in the little things of our life, if we can't completely trust him with the little things, the day of judgment is going to be terrifying because we've never practiced trusting Jesus. I don't know what it is today that you might need to trust Jesus with. It might be a little thing or a big thing. But you need to trust him today. I want to finish this story about my dog, Buddy. My dog, Buddy. You see, he ran up and down that fence 
for a long time, years and years. And you know what he did? One day he jumped over the fence and straight into the pen with the bulldogs. And you know what we found of him? We just found him there, matted up in the mud. Couldn't even tell it was a buddy anymore. Because the truth was they weren't ready. He wasn't ready for that fight. I don't want that to be you today. I don't want that to be you on the day of judgment. We are a breath away from eternity. If you don't know Jesus today, I pray you would receive him as your righteousness, unequivocally sold out to Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, today we come before you confessing the truth that we aren't good enough, that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory, the glory you breathed into us at first, that just like Adam and Eve, we've all fallen short, we've all made those mistakes, we've all said this is ours. Today, Father God, have your way in our hearts. By the power of your spirit, may be convicted of the sin in our lives. May we trust you in the little things and the big things. And today, Father God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you at all, I pray today you would convict them of their need for you. I pray you convict them of their need for Jesus. May his name be lifted high. May your spirit empower that. May you be glorified. And we give you praise and thanks because of the day we will spend rejoicing with you. We just thank you for everything you've done. Do your work here among us, Father God. We pray these prayers expectantly because of the name of Jesus. Amen.